Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Welcome, everybody, and thanks so much for listening in today. This episode is a real special one where I'm going to be exploring how Waldorf works. When I thought about creating this episode, I knew I wanted a different perspective than we've had in the past on the podcast, where I've been primarily interviewing teachers. I had the thought that I wanted to explore this topic with a parent, but not just any parent, a really experienced parent who'd seen the Waldorf journey the whole way through. How Waldorf works is a big topic, and I set my mind that I really needed a Waldorf parent who was up to covering such a grand topic. I could not have found the more perfect candidate than Sarah Lee, who some of you may already be familiar with as Sarah from Sarah Silks. Sarah was born in New York City, but she grew up in Belfast, Maine. As a young adult, she became a nurse and lactation consultant, joined the Peace Corps, and traveled to Guatemala. Her days in the Peace Corps were spent assisting childbirth and educating indigenous people about sanitation. While in the Peace Corps, Sarah met her husband, Mike. When Mike and Sarah started a family, they decided to relocate to California. As a creative mother, she wanted to celebrate her son Josh's spirit, which involved wearing costumes and putting on performances. With a friend and neighbor, Ann Platt, Sarah dyed her first silks in the kitchen sink. These silks were embraced by the local Waldorf community, and before long, Sarah was combining the roles of motherhood, working as a doula, and dyeing silks. It was her husband, Mike, who came up with the name Play Silks. Today, Sarah Silks supplies play silks, capes, fairy dresses, streamers, and other toys to Steiner schools, Waldorf schools, and boutique toy shops and families in the USA, Europe, Australia, Japan, and many other countries. Sarah and Mike raised their three sons, all of whom attended a Waldorf school in Northern California, and much of her experience as an involved Waldorf parent is going to be discussed in today's episode. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Ashley. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I feel like we had a conversation last week about you being on the podcast and we just, I feel like really connected. We have so much in common. So I'm, I'm so excited to chat today. And as I mentioned in the introduction, we have such a big topic to cover so we can get, we can jump right in here. I am wondering as a parent, and I'm sure so many parents are interested in other parents' stories too. How did you find Waldorf education for your family? Well, when I was a girl in Maine, there was a family that came um, just for the summers and the kids were so fun to play with and they were interesting and they did strange things like they would tell me about Eurythmy and they knew how to finger knit and it turns out they went to the Steiner School in New York City and so I heard about Waldorf School first when I was a child and I thought, whoa, that's where I want to send my kids. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind. And then when we moved to California, our next door neighbors um, were sending their children to the Summerfield Waldorf School here in Sonoma County. And we started going to the festivals first when my son Josh was about three or four. And I loved Summerfield. It was just so beautiful, the farm and the festivals. And I wanted to be part of the community. So that's how I first found out about it. I know the community is such a a nice thing as a parent. I feel like a lot of people get that vibe as soon as they visit a Waldorf school for the first time, that it's more than just kind of sending your kid a place to get educated, but also that feeling kind of when you walk in the door and the feeling you get at the festivals and um, events at the school is, is kind of special, I think. Yes, it really was important to me because I was new here and I didn't really know anybody. So when I started, when my oldest son started school, the 
first thing we did was go to the um, work day, which was even before kindergarten started, where the parents would help clean the classroom and get the garden ready and the yard fixed up and the children were playing outside. And I, I immediately felt like I belonged somewhere and I made friends with the other parents and they became our friends. They still are our friends um, 25 years later. So what are your earliest memories of your children in school? You me- you mentioned going to festivals, but what are kind of your your early memories of your children attending and connecting with the school? Um, I remember farm day when parents got to volunteer and we would go on and walk to the farm with the children and bring the farm cart. And we would go work on the farm and collect the eggs and dig up carrots. And farm days were very fun. I remember soup day when they'd have to bring a vegetable to school and the children would chop up the vegetables. I helped with the plays and costuming plays. That was more in the grades, starting in first grade. There there was a play every year and I loved helping with the play. Um, when my third son, my children are 10 years apart, so With my third son, I knew about the mommy and me class that they offered, which is called Roots and Shoots. And I took him to that. And that was really fun because we would the moms would do handwork while the babies and the young children crawled around in the class and explored the simple toys that they had there for them. Yeah. So this gets a, gives us a picture of, I guess, the beginning of your Waldorf journey. So at what point did you start Sarah Silks in this journey? How did, how did it all come about? Well, I started Sarah Silks before my children even started school. Um, it's, oh, okay. actually, oh, okay. yeah, we've been doing it for 25 years and my oldest son is 28. So when he was three, we went to Summerfield and there was a Mayfair and he was playing in the kindergarten and teacher Ellen, who ended up being his his teacher, had a basket, had different baskets. You know, how they have like the the wood logs and shells and rocks. And then she had a basket of cloth. And he just loved the cloths and he started to use them. I was noticing how he was using them for play in the class. And I thought that I wanted to have some of those for him. So I talked to Ellen and she said, oh, the Waldorf teachers, we just um, dye our own silk and cotton and we have them in the classroom for the children to play with. So I went home and I found a local, um, there was a local company that was importing silk from China and they were also making dye, which is the same dye that I still use. It's called the Jacquard acid dye. And that family was also a Summerfield Waldorf family. So I got the silk from them and I bought the dye and I dyed the silks at home in my my kitchen sink and I offered them to Josh and his friends, the neighbor kids, and they loved them so much. They used them for everything from tying their dolls on as, you know, like a sling. They used them for capes, for dancing, for building forts. And then I was, and then I was wondering if anybody was selling them already. Cause I was working as a nurse on the weekends and my husband, Mike had a job during the week and I was thinking maybe I could make a business of this. So I brought them to our little local Waldorf toy store, which was Hearthsong. Maybe some people remember that. I think they're still they're still in business. They have a catalog now, an online shop. And they were very interested in them. They said, oh, my gosh, nobody's making these. We love them. These silkies are great. And so they bought them. And then I made more. And I then I thought, well, maybe other Waldorf schools have little stores or they know about toy stores. So I sent away for the booklet from Osna 
And then I called the schools one by one and I asked them if they had a store at the school or if they knew one nearby. And one by one, I would, I sent them samples of the silks and then they, they called and ordered them. And that's how we grew. So it was about 25, 24 years ago. And then, yep. And that's how we've been doing it. And we actually were a home business until about three years ago. Wow. Oh my gosh. And you've grown so much. I mean, how many employees do you have now? You're a woman-owned business that's grown so much over the last 25 years. I'm I'm so impressed. Yeah, now we're just, we're 12 people here. Yeah. And you have a son working for you too, don't you? Yeah, we do. My oldest son. Yeah, Josh. The, the same one I dyed the first silks for is here working with us now. And it's such a joy to have him here. Oh, yep. I bet. Yeah. All three of them went through all 12 grades at Summerfield and then they went off, um, to do different things. And yeah, he went out into the world and came in, worked other places and now he's come back here. That's so lovely. I, you know, having a son, hope that he goes out and enjoys the world and finds amazing things, but also secretly hope that he comes back and does something with me too. (laughs) (laughs) So that he can be fulfilled doing that and be close to you must be so nice. It's really nice. So in your experience going to Waldorf school um, and pertaining to what we're talking about today, how Waldorf works. How did you feel your children's Waldorf journey went? I mean, in my own experience, I know there are certainly ups and downs and you sent all three children through 12 years, which is great. But I know that sometimes within, I guess within the experience, like I said, there can be ups and downs. Sometimes a class teacher can leave and that makes a really big difference in how a journey can go. Um, and sometimes there can be academic ups and downs or social ups and downs. Do you remember any ups and downs in your experience with your uh, kids that you'd be willing to speak to? Yes. Um, my oldest son um, was not reading in third by third grade. And as parents who'd never experienced Waldorf education, and that made us very nervous, especially the grandparents, his grandparents were also nervous about that. But the class teacher was quite reassuring. She kept saying, he'll get it, he'll get it, it'll be okay. And he really didn't read until I'd say fifth grade. Um, but once he started reading, he could, he, by sixth grade, I would say he was reading at a high school level. So that was challenging for us. And the teacher was very reassuring. And I really trusted her because she had experience. And, and did yeah. he get did he get any additional assistance or tutoring outside of the classroom with that? No, he didn't. She kept telling me he didn't need it. And I trusted her. So we, we went with that. And I think if he'd been in a public school, he would have probably been um, put into special, you know, some special classes. And that might have affected his confidence. I'm not sure. But it, as it was, he was unaware of it. He was just a very imaginative child. And he wasn't interested in reading, I think. And so with it was, he wasn't concerned about it. And the teacher wasn't really concerned about it. And so it turned out fine. So that, that for me was great. Yeah, we just did an episode last week about reading, writing and testing in Waldorf education. And we the teacher that I was speaking with, she actually is designing rubrics uh, for Uh, teachers to evaluate students. And we were talking about students that can, you know, that just come around to reading later. I, as a Waldorf student, I came in, I taught myself to read almost by kind of memorizing words that I was seeing in kindergarten. So I came into first grade already, already kind of reading, which is quite unusual for a Waldorf school. But my sister is the same. I mean, my sister, my youngest sister really wasn't reading until maybe fifth or 
almost even sixth grade. And my sister has now gone on to, um, she's in, working in finance actually at a big bank. So she was totally fine. It was the same thing. The teacher just told my parents, you know, she's, she's, she's doing great. You know, she'll, she'll come and have the interest. And it's it, almost the exact same story. She really came around to it and was reading at a high school level before she, you know, even went into eighth grade, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, it's a common story. I think actually that one with reading, but for a parent that's just experiencing it for the first time, I think it's a little, a little nerve wracking. It, it, it is. And then for my, with my second son, I thought, well, don't worry, he's probably not going to read till fifth grade. Well, he learned in first grade. And not only was he reading in first grade, he was doing his times tables. He was doing all these complicated math problems. He was playing chess and the teachers were telling me, oh, this is not, you know, not this is not good, but this, we need to get this child more um, in his imagination and his creativity and his, you know, more free play. And so Waldorf school was really important for him as well. So I think for both of these, my, those, both of my children, my older children, they needed the Waldorf education for different reasons, right? Because he was, you know, he's more of an engineer brain kind of a kid, but all the music and art and Eurythmy, um, which he really didn't like, was so good to form him all the way, you know, to get him uh, all the parts of his brain engaged, let's just say. And yeah, so that was, it was really important for him as well. And um he ended up playing college sports, which is another thing that um, I've heard parents talk about. They're concerned about the sports at Waldorf schools, but um, all three of my kids are athletes. And and Noah, the second, my second son, was able to play tennis at a Division two college. So it is possible to, you know, to have a great athletic experience as well in in Waldorf school. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. My husband is also very into tennis. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. I'm feeling now we kind of need to plan like a visit out to meet you and your family because of all of our common interests here. Um, for those of you that don't know, my husband is actually, he, uh, went through 12 years of Waldorf school and he is a, uh, acrobatic juggling, uh, comedy performer. And as we're going to get to speak to a little bit later, Sarah's, Sarah has a son who's pursuing circus arts as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but we just have so much in common here. It's so funny. So I love how you're speaking there to how your sons were kind of in different places academically, but how you're feeling Waldorf education really complemented both of their needs, basically. Yes, that's true. And, um, so for my second son, because he was advanced in math and he, the math was very easy for him. The teacher, his class teacher was so smart. There were three or four of them in the class that were, that were quite advanced in math. And so she brought in a special teacher for them to do extra knitting. So during math class, they they did complicated knitting patterns. And oh my goodness, they became the best knitters. They could knit cables and, 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 and that was math, but it was also getting out of their heads, you know, and getting into their bodies and doing, and it was, it was quite beautiful to see them doing it. So while the rest of the class might be learning their times tables, these children were sitting outside and, and, and making beautiful sweaters. <laughs> Right. And I actually want to introduce to parents that aren't aware at all how mathematical knitting actually is. If you're not familiar with what Sarah is speaking about, knitting patterns can actually become really mathematical equations almost when you're doing the counting and 
the way that it has to work to get those patterns to come together, it, it really does involve math and that that kind of thinking brain and engaging it in a different way. So I love that the teacher thought to bring that in, bring that in. Did, did he ever get kind of additional, I guess, academic content because he was so advanced? She, this class teacher was remarkable in how she handled this. She had four, these four students. Um, and she, she, she let them form a chess club. She let them, she let them do, um, oh, she brought in the high school math teacher, I think around fifth or sixth grade to do extra work with them. She really met them where they were, but she, she tried to hold them off as long as she could, you know, with special, with things like the knitting project, but they, she did, she, she met, that's what I love about Waldorf teachers and Waldorf classes is that the teachers can can customize the curriculum to meet the needs of the current class that they have. So it's creative for the teachers. It's fun for them because every year it's, it's, it's different, right? They're not teaching sixth grade, the same curriculum, sixth grade over and over and over again. They're growing with the current group of children that they have and, and customizing the curriculum to that group. And this particular teacher was amazing. She's now an administrator here at, at the um, Waldorf Charter School. She's very creative and she's a great teacher. Um, so, yeah, she did meet them with different challenging things as they grew older. Um, yeah, that sounds so neat how she was both able to acknowledge their skill set and meet that and bring in that teacher so that they could advance their skills where they were, but also bring in these kind of creative projects like knitting where they could use that uh, engineering kind of mindset and math geared mindset into something creative, which will certainly, you know, benefit kids down the road. That's, that's really neat. And those kids are now working like at Google and because we're near Silicon Valley and they're, you know, they're, they're doing that kind of work, but they also have the creative, the creative minds, which, um, I think those companies want, you know, they don't, they, they prize that as well. I think it's important. Yeah. And not only being able to uh, think critically and be creative, but also the problem solving brain. I mean, if anybody has, for those listening that haven't attempted a knitting project, as is my uh, weakness when I do knitting, if anybody's seen my Instagram stories, the problem solving that goes into that is mind blowing because you get into counting in these different kind of patterns. And then if it if it, you make a little mistake and down the project down the line, you see it and you have to go back and fix it. And that is problem solving on another level if you've never experienced it. So I, there's a lot of layers there that are coming into it. That's right. And yes, and both all three of my children thrived in high school as well and in their senior year, especially when they have their senior projects. The senior year is a, is a wonderful year, in my opinion, in Waldorf education because they do a senior thesis, senior project, where they have a lot of freedom and they work on that all year long, whatever is their special interest. And that was just so amazing for me to see my, my kids get involved in that. It's not something everybody gets to do in life. Totally. I'm actually really interested to ask you about their experience in high school because I find there's this perception of Waldorf schools and particularly it may be because Waldorf schools in the U.S., there's so many kindergartens and then one through eight schools. But the Waldorf High School plays so much into this journey for the student because Steiner's intentions, right, were that you are utilizing um, and 
where the child is coming from, their developmental point that they're at, that is kind of the feeling mind and that, or the feeling pull, if you will. And that's ages like seven through 14, as I understand it. And then 14 to kind of 21 is the intellectual side where you're moving towards cultivating that and working on that, developing that. And that's all in the high school. So for people Mm -hmm. that have this kind of mindset that, oh, there's so much art and, you know, uh, projects like the knitting, the painting, the sculpting, all these different things, where does this academic geared side of it come in? Well, that really gets revved up and really comes in in the high school year. So could you speak to that a little bit? I mean, did you have any of those feelings that I feel like are so common for Waldorf parents where you felt, oh, are they getting enough academically? Absolutely not. I mean, Waldorf High School was so academic. <laughs> That's what I found was just a, a lot of challenging, exciting work they were doing. First of all, they don't use textbooks. So it's not boring. It's not rote learning. They're learning from primary sources and from interesting, engaged in teachers. Um, they're still making main lesson books and the books are just gorgeous and beautiful. And even, yeah, even the most academically gifted and interested kids are so challenged. At least that's what I found at our school. Yeah all three of my kids did really well on their SATs. So that's another thing that, um, you know, that was the thing I was wondering is, are they going to be able to take, that was something I worried. I worried a little bit because they've never taken a standardized test. Um, but at our school, they, they do practice, they do a little bit of a practice thing and they do their PSATs and then they, they tend to do really well. Um, and cause I did want them to be able to go to college if that's what they wanted to do. And they did end up, two of them ended up going and one is still not sure. So no, I was I was just so impressed with how interested they were in the subject matter. I think that's the thing. They weren't bored or doing just um, busy work in high school. They were actually doing reading things they were interested in and they really liked their teachers and were engaged for the most part. And also there were the trips, you know, they go on a lot of class trips that were um, related to the curriculum that engaged them. So I, I couldn't have been happier with it. We also have, we have a, a high school charter school here. So it's, it's free and it is so, it is completely full. They have, I don't know, I think they have three main lessons going for it right now. They have a waiting list. It's very popular. Wow. They, so they have three main lessons going for each grade, you mean? So that they the have- charter school, we have, we have the private school, which is the one my kids went to because we didn't have the charter school at the time, but we also have a charter Waldorf high school now. Yeah. With three main lessons going. Wow, that is amazing. I wish we had charter schools here in the state that I live in in New Hampshire. I'm not so familiar with what it takes to set up a charter school. We definitely don't have charter Walder schools. And I used to live in Massachusetts and we don't have any in, I don't think there are any in Massachusetts, certainly not around where I was living and there aren't any in New Hampshire. So that's not an option for us. But I keep hearing amazing things about Waldorf charter schools, uh, mostly opening out out West. So that's really neat. And I didn't know there was a charter Waldorf high school. That's so cool. So I went to Waldorf school grades one through eight and then went to actually Catholic school. But I found that I was like shocked in every class I was sitting in the first year that because I was the only one asking questions. Like I was the only one literally in most classes, sometimes the only one who was uh, engaged at a level that I don't know, I felt I had to be to learn anything, you know, asking questions and ask, you know, talking to the teachers after class and going in. And I remember the first 
like, I don't know if this is true for all Wilder students, but the first day I went in and shook all my teacher's hands, like the first day of high school. And my teachers were like in shock. Like, who is, who is this kid? You know, and my sisters kind of were the same thing. So we had quite an experience kind of going from Waldorf to a different high school. And then my husband also went to Waldorf high school and he, so I went to this super academically rigorous high school and he still, he did better than me on the SAT, <laughs> actually going to Waldorf High School. But I honestly think part of it is that he was, like you're mentioning, so en- so engaged in the material that he was learning. I don't know how it really exactly works in the high school that creates that, but for for students to be so connected, but that certainly was the case for, for him as well. So, yeah. So why did you tell us a little bit about each of your children, um, their names, ages, and then a little bit about their, well, you've spoken a little bit to their Waldorf journey so far, but maybe then you could speak about where they are now and what they're pursuing. So Josh is the oldest and he's 28 and he went to art school after art college, after Summerfield. And then he went off and worked at um, Facebook actually. And he learned a lot of great skills. And now he's come back to work for us, which is wonderful. And he's working in marketing for you, right? That's working in marketing. Yeah. And creative. Oh my gosh. He's so creative. He's doing, um, we're having play dates for kids. And so he helps organize the play dates and he does photos and videos and he's helping me with all kinds of new product development. And he just has, he has this great work ethic and creativity that he brings to it from, I think it's also partly from having worked in the Facebook environment where they, he explains to me about how they work in teams and they bring their desks all together and do brainstorming together. That just that kind of thinking has has helped me as we're growing. We're not huge yet, but just, yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's what Josh is doing. And then Noah is 25 and he played tennis in college, which was great. And then he has traveled playing in tennis tournaments. And right now he's a tennis pro at our local, at a local tennis club. That's what he's doing right now. And then Morgan is 19. And so he just finished school and he was accepted into he's, so we have a Waldorf um, at our Waldorf school. We have a circus arts program that all the children do starting in third grade as part of the curriculum. And they also are in the yearly circus performance, which is really fun and exciting. And um, Morgan really took to it. And as did Josh, my oldest son, they both really love the circus, uh, circus arts. So Morgan became a hand balancer and he has been doing that for about, I guess, three years. And he's already traveled around the world, um, having some jobs in like Turkey, Australia, UK. And now he's been accepted into this hand balancing school in Kiev. And that's where he is currently training. And for those of... I might, as I mentioned earlier, my husband is also involved in circus. And for those of the listeners who are not familiar in Kiev, it's like the place to train handstands. And I've looked at Morgan's Instagram. He is <laughs> on another level at handstands. That's really quite impressive. But that's one of the things I find is so lovely about Waldorf education is kids that really are super passionate and interested in pursuing something especially as you, as they move into the high school years, there becomes the space that they can use for pursuing those passions, you know? And did you find that was the case for him? Absolutely. Yes. He just, yes, he did. Yeah. So 
I, of all your experience being a Waldorf parent, how, what do you feel makes Waldorf education so special? I remember John McCallis, who is a Waldorf teacher and an amazing parent educator, um, saying, Waldorf education will help your children develop into the people who they really are. And as parents, that may not be the person that you are trying to make them be, but it will help them become blossom into the person that they're meant to be, that they're on the earth to become. And I don't know if I'm saying that exactly correctly, but I've found that to be true. I have two other questions for you. One is having sent your children to a Waldorf school as a parent, how did you deal with, and I kind of see this a little bit now as well, being a parent, how did you deal with other parents or family members? You mentioned grandparents kind of being concerned. Oh, so-and-so is not reading by age, you know, nine or whatever, eight. And um, how did you deal with outside concerns? I guess, I mean, I, the one I'm thinking of particularly with my son is um, when we go to friends' houses, we don't actually put him in front of a screen at all. We're really into the no screen thing right now. Um, and because they're everywhere, it's really become quite a thing. A thing. So we're kind of asking people to turn TVs off if we're in a space where there is one, if we can't leave or something like that. So how do, how have you dealt with that as, as a parent where there's been, I guess, outside interest or concern with what you've kind of chosen for your kids? That has been hard at times, especially with my grandparents who didn't understand at all. And we'd go visit and they'd have the TV on and I'd have to ask them to turn it off. I think just being strong in, in what you believe and just being clear, they, I do remember my, my one grandmother saying, I have never seen kids play like that. And then she said, as a matter of fact, Sarah, I remember you and your sister Lee playing like that when you were little girls. And she was puzzling over it. And I said, Grandma, I think that it, it may have something to do with the fact that we're not watching TV because when the TV's on, they're engaged with the television. And when it's off, they may be bored for a little while, but then they do start to play and they start to find other things to do. And, and she, she saw that over time. Um, with my in-laws too, they don't really understand Waldorf education, but they have come to some, they've come to the kids' plays, they've come to their graduations and seen, the, the lovely thing about, okay, let me just say this about graduations is, if you go to a public school graduation, I understand there's a lot of kids, so you can only have really a valedictorian speech or maybe a couple kids' speeches. But at a Waldorf school graduation, everyone gets to either say something, play a favorite song, sing. It's beautiful. And when you see the children blossoming, when my in-laws see the results, they, they can't help but be pleased. So that's, that's part of, that's part of it, I guess. And yeah, but I, I guess it kind of unfolds over time, kind of what you've decided for your kids. I guess that's the case. I'm thinking of my husband and his grandmother who was like, he can't read at age six or seven. What kind of school yeah. is this? You know? And then she was like Waldorf education's biggest proponent by uh, biggest advocate by, by the time he graduated high school, she was so impressed by kind of the human that he was becoming through the process. So, yeah. And one, one thing that, um, some people 
have said to me as well, your kids really look me in the eye when they talk to me, or like you mentioned, um, shaking hands. They, they, they are used to shaking hands with their teachers every morning and looking them in the eye, right? Every single morning when they come into class and when they leave in the afternoon. So, and they're used to having conversations with adults that are deeper than, so I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's only in Waldorf kids do that, but it is impressive. I feel like I've noticed that as well. Just the ability to, I don't know, carry on in a, in a different way, but like you're saying, it's not just totally unique to Waldorf education. It's not like kids don't. Kids turn out special all kinds of ways that they are raised and educated. But I, I do notice something, I guess, special about Waldorf, Waldorf mm. kids in that way. Mm. So the last question, I think the last question that I have for you, or I'm, I'm interested, I'm actually, we're going to have an episode coming up about this topic. But how familiar were, were you as a parent with anthroposophy and its association with Waldorf education? And how familiar were, were you with, I guess, the kind of spiritual connection with anthroposophy and Waldorf education? I wasn't familiar with it at all when I started sending my children to Waldorf school. And then through the parent education at the school, I became interested and I started reading some books by Steiner. And I've been in some book club, book groups at the school. So I find it interesting. I don't think it's, you don't have to know about it in order to be perfectly happy and comfortable at Waldorf School. I found it interesting how much the, the kids learn in high school. They, they learn a little bit about Steiner as, I think, not until 12th grade. And that I found interesting to, to hear their thoughts on Steiner as when they're in 12th grade, because they don't talk about it at all throughout the grades with the kids, right? There's reverence for life, which I love. It's certainly not religious in any way. Um, but there's, a, there's like lighting candles, taking light and love into your heart, reverence for nature, and all those things that I think are so beautiful and connected to earth and spirit. But no talk about Steiner at all until I think it's 12th grade. And then having conversations with the kids around it was, was interesting for me. Yeah. And I think even the introduction of some of Steiner's work, actually that even varies school to school. I know my husband, he, they didn't talk about anthroposophy or Steiner. I don't think at all through any of the grades in high school as well. So the reason I asked you that question is because I find parents currently, there are a lot of parents who are really, interested in this aspect of it more from a concerned place. I don't know if you've ever been down the rabbit hole of like crazy stuff on the internet about Waldorf education. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is I feel like a lot of the stuff out there is just so inaccurate about um, like somehow kids being like indoctrinated into, into something. So it's, it's good to hear your perspective being a parent from the other side of the country, really separate from mine, that you had a very similar experience where it, it isn't this religious thing, you know, it's, um, and honestly, I feel like spiritual is even kind of like a loaded term to put on it too. I like the word that you use to describe that you're basically uh, guiding children towards a reverence, you know, for nature and uh, light and love and, and also, I guess, human connection. There's a big value put on human connection between, you know, child and teacher and friends, how we treat each other, creating empathy, I guess. Um, and I, I'm glad that you could speak to that a little bit. That's wonderful. So coming back to Sarah Silks, we can wrap up talking about Sarah Silks a little bit here. Sarah Silks are, play silks are such a 
fantastic thing to have in your home for children to play because they inspire open-ended play. Could you speak a little bit about open-ended play and its its benefits? So Joan Allman, who is one of my mentors who recently passed away, she she started the Alliance for Childhood. She's an amazing woman. And my favorite quote of hers is, a good toy is 90% child, 10% toy. And I try to remember that in everything that we make here. Because if a toy is all the way formed and just does things for the child, then the child is not exercising their imagination. And an imagination is kind of like a muscle where you want to keep on using it and using it to, so that it develops and gets better and, and more, um, it's almost like the difference between telling a child a story and reading them a book with pictures. When you tell them a story, they're making the pictures in their mind. So when you give them something simple like blocks of wood and cloth, they can take that, they take the block and it can become the bread that they're eating or the hay that they're feeding their horse. And they're making the pictures in their mind of what that is. And they're talking with their friends about, oh, let's pretend this is this and let's do this and let's do that. And the toys just are the props that their minds are making into something. Anybody can Instagram Sarah Silks and check out the hashtag. They're adults. Everybody plays with play silks really. But um, I think the first play silks we had, I was maybe like not uh, nine, 10, 11. Anyways, my sisters were younger. And one of the things my parents liked so much about play silks and toys of the like, like you're talking about, was they were a toy that we could take one or two really anywhere my parents went. And we could totally create a game or play, like you're saying, 90% child and 10% toy. That kind of opens up the possibilities are like endless, what you can create and what you can play. And that's one of the things I like so much about them is that they're like like, you know how you have an all-purpose tool, like a Leatherman? I feel like play silks yeah. are like an all-purpose toy. You can really do anything with them, take them anywhere, and they can become anything for a child, which is so beautiful to see their imagination sparked and inspired the way that they are. Uh, and this is a perfect example talking about play silks. So is there anything that going on special at Sarah Silks right now that you want to speak about? We have the play silks in the mail program going on, which is pretty fun. Um, it's a subscription where every month your child gets a play silk in the mail and it's a color to do with the seasons. So if you have a nature table, it would be a color that you could use there. But it's also fun because children love getting mail. So that's where we've opened up the program. It closed really, it filled up really fast the last time we opened it. So it's open right now for the month of August. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I'm def I'm definitely going to be signing up for that. And for those kind of listening or interested, um, actually, Sarah, speaking today, this is not a sponsored podcast. I really just reached out to Sarah because she has experience that I wanted to have her speak about on the podcast about Waldorf education and believe in Sarah's play silk. So um, if you go shop at sarahsilks.com, that's that's Aww. not uh, not sponsored or anything. That's how much we love her and we love Sarah Silk. So that being said, Sarah, actually, I will say, is... Um, gifting to one of our listeners a $100 gift certificate. 
So if you go to uh, waldorfy.com slash Sarah Silks, you can enter to win a $100 gift certificate to Sarah Silks. And there's actually a link to Sarah Silks on that page where you can check out her shop or you can go to sarahsilks.com. And all you have to do to enter to win the gift certificate is enter your name and your email address. And then if you would like, you can opt out of getting my emails and or say opt in as I would love for you to do and prefer. Um, and then there's just a couple of little areas where you can enter um, some information that's helpful for me for the podcast, like if you like it or not, and any feedback, which I'm always seeking about the podcast. So yeah, is there anything else that you want to speak to, Sarah, about how Waldorf works, how you feel it's worked for your children and family? Mm, one thing I wanted to share is that since my family is half Chinese, um, my husband is Chinese, that uh, what I one thing I loved is that the teachers um, encouraged us to celebrate Chinese festivals in the classroom. So we were able to bring in Chinese New Year, uh, some lunar festivals, and celebrate them. So I thought that was a really special thing we did. Yeah, it, I so mm-hmm. I so love that you brought that up, Sarah, because I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's actually something so special and unique that I haven't talked about on the podcast yet is how Waldorf education is so adaptable in terms of the children in the classroom. So, uh, you know, having Chinese uh, or, or part Chinese students in the classroom, you're bringing in uh, celebrations from their culture into the classroom. That is so neat. Not only that your family is celebrating, but that the rest of the children in the classroom also get to enjoy. And that's so neat and so special. Yeah, we made a Chinese dragon and two Chinese lions. And then we did a lion dance and the dragon. And we went around from classroom to classroom, blessing the classes for good luck for the new year. And we um, gave out little red envelopes to the children. We did this in third grade, which is each for each kid's class in third grade. And then we made pop stickers and Chinese noodles for long life. My husband came in and, and did the cooking with the children. And it was really special for us. And I saw that with other kids that were from different traditions and cultures that the teachers encouraged those festivals in the class. And it just was such a rich experience for all of us to experience the different festivals. And they're really community building as well, I feel like. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the podcast and speaking with me today. Thanks, Ashley. It was wonderful to be here. I love your podcast. Thank you. I hope you have all enjoyed today's episode as much as I've enjoyed creating it for you. As I mentioned in this episode, we are doing a special giveaway with Sarah Silks for a $100 gift certificate to sarahsilks.com for one lucky winner. All you have to do to enter is visit waldorfy.com forward slash Sarah Silks. That's W-A-L-D-O-R-F-Y.com forward slash Sarah's Silks. That's S-A-R-A-H-S-S-I-L-K-S. And there you'll be asked for your name and email to be entered in the drawing. Also on this page, you can choose to opt in for Waldorfie's email list and give us additional feedback on the Waldorfie podcast. Your email will only be subscribed here if you actually click the MailChimp opt-in button. The drawing will run from the time this episode goes live at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on August 13th, 2019 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on August 22nd, 2019. The winner will be selected by noon on August 23rd, 2019 and contacted by email. I do hope you'll enter to win this awesome giveaway from Sarah Silks. As always, I would love to hear your feedback on this episode or on any of my content. You can always send me a message at info.waldorfee at gmail.com or leave a comment on the show notes page for this episode. 
The show notes page for this episode can be found at waldorfee.com forward slash how Waldorf works. I hope you'll connect with me on social media. I'm at B Waldorfee. I'm active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. Thanks again for listening in, everybody. Be well.